You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. You're a dangerous girl. She was right. I am dangerous. Welcome back, everybody, to the whole movie podcast, The Neon Demon Edition. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola, and I am here with, I'm going to kick it over proactively to William. (laughs) Bring it on, William. Hello, I'm William O. Tyler. I'm a comic artist, a creator, and also uh, dabbling in film criticism, I guess. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, And yeah, I'm excited to continue this conversation about Neon Demon. We're getting into some really good stuff today, I think. You really are. And how about you, Roxana? Uh, hi, I'm Roxana Haddadi. I am a pop culture and film critic. And um, yeah, let's, you know, let's dive into this thing. Let's get weird. It's, it's this movie, like just because it is so just like overt in it's telling you what the theme will be. It's funny to be able to like, all right, we're going to do this by selected scene. And then like in most of them, we're going to get a line to hang on to that is illustrative of like, all right, this is our doctoral thesis on Neon Demon. And each section will be broken down conveniently by quote served up by Nicholas Widening Refn. And today's served up theme thematic breakdown is I can make money off pretty. The moment when I when I saw this the first time, my little body wilted in that chair in the theater <laughs> at just the like reality and cynicism and sadness in me, but then also like the gross awareness that I was like, you can and I will purchase it. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. knowing I'm a part of the system, being totally aware of that. Yeah, there's like a weird bad girl boss energy <laughs> that is tied up in that line so much but, you know but i think it's like it's the reality of like we live in a society where dichotomies exist mm-hmm. and so you're either pretty or you're ugly like mm-hmm. there's not space for like fucking quote-unquote normal people yes so for jesse to know that she's beautiful and to realize uh, not even just what that means for herself, but really what that means for other people. What Correct. do other people experience by seeing her? Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly cynical, but it's also like, hey man, it's what we all grow up with. Like how many times do you see somebody tell a little girl like, oh, you're so pretty. Mm-hmm. You're so cute. <laughs> like, I mean, they are, you know, children are mostly fucking cute or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, people don't tell little boys like, you're so handsome. Like, that's right. not, really not in happens. the same way. It's not in it's the, not the same, same way. way. No. So it's just like the, uh, the desire we have to be considered and to be desired mm-hmm. is like entirely what this movie is looking at. And it's such a perfect encapsulation of what Jesse realizes and then the industry that flourishes around her as a result of that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah the the previous episode we talked about the um food or sex uh, Mm -hmm. um and i think that that scene really solidified solidified the um cast of the movie the four Mm -hmm. characters um this quote and the scene surrounding that we're talking about today you know after we get to know those characters this is where we get the world building. Like, what is the world Good that point. these characters are in? What is this industry? What is Los Angeles as a city? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that that whole scene of her, of Jesse, when she says this, her and uh, Dean are out on, a, I'm not even sure if it's a date or a right. hangout or it's it's very weird. Um, mm-hmm. And like Dean is very like weird. It's a chill and we're, session. Yeah, we're going to have to get in. <laughs> Yeah, Chill. we're going to have to get into what, what Dean is up to, too, because he's kind of yeah. creepy. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Human this... knife. Human knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but this scene is is totally set with um, 
the LA backdrop, the city sky yeah. um, behind. And, you know, we talked, we also talked about Elle Fanning being this Disney princess of a person. Um, and the character at this moment, you know, everything is so soft and lavender yes. and pretty and magical. And, it, and she's floating above the city and it feels very Disney princess. But at the same time, this is her Godzilla moment. She's like, <laughs> she's stomping across the city and she's you know she knows she's going to own it um mm -hmm. she already is here and she's ready to conquer and i it's that line just encompasses all of it mm -hmm. and it, it's important to to note that what gets us into i can make money off pretty is the is the casting agency mm. our direct setup into this is l striding jesse striding into the cold concrete cavernous all those c's casting agency and being met with the no bullshit been there done that seen it all gaze of christina <sighs> hendrix oh can oh. we all just take can we all just take a moment wherever you are christina i hope you're having a great night i hope it's awesome yes. i hope you're as beautiful i'm sorry to take it there for what we're doing this podcast but i hope I you're as beautiful as i know you to be yes as we know not as we suspect not as we guess as we, we know, know as we i know. hope you kept all of your bad bad clothes i hope you kept all of them yes. all of them and um i love you very much so that's no, that's perfect. That. That's a perfect opening, especially since like the conveyance of warmth toward Christina Hendricks in the face of such a cold character. Oh yeah, so cold, ice so cold. cold. I mean, the like you have you have the the good the cool track like the nice tracking shot of like Jesse walking down the hall and then she's in front of Christina Hendricks, and one of the first things like I don't think the very first but one of the first things she said to her is, "You're very fit." And then mm -hmm. follows that and watching the, again, that director's commentary creeping in, Nicholas Winding Refn <laughs> is having a great time with this, this line, how she follows that up with immediately saying, I think you're perfect. I would never say you're fat, but that doesn't mean that someone else won't understand. Yeah, which is so hilarious too, because like Elle Fanning, I mean, this is like getting into a weird body space, but I don't think of her as fit. Right. Like, I think like, like in the sense that like Jessica Biel is, is fit. like Michelle Rodriguez right. is fit. right. So again, it goes like, into all these questions of like, how do we describe women's bodies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what of our own weird internalized misogyny mm -hmm. does yeah. this tap into? Cause I remember seeing that and thinking like, Elle Fanning isn't fit. Elle right. Fanning's thin. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? And so it's yeah, like, she's, so willowy. she's, she's lithe. Right. She's whiskey. Right. Right. So you're doing exactly what the movie is pointing out that we do mm -hmm. and it creates this like weird feedback loop where you're like oh god i'm part of the problem <laughs> yeah yeah like, it's ugh. like hearing i can make money off pretty and me thinking where can i purchase like right. where where can i buy the goods and services of you because i'm interested right. like i subscribe right. to your newsletter right. and they're like right before like multiple beats before christina Hendricks even says this line nick reffin on the director's track is already just going I would never say you're fat. And he's and then when she says it, he says it again. He goes, I would never say you're fat. I would never say you're fat. It's like an ongoing joke at my house. It's like <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Also, could we could we laugh at the fact that Refin is just like casually making jokes again. The driest man <laughs> the alive. Dry, and the driest jokes. And like yeah. the jokes are as dry as anything else. And just mm -hmm. like the things that it like, and then when she finally says the line, like they're, you know, him and Elle are talking on the track and Elle's like, <laughs> it's the best line. I mean, yes, Elle it is, but also fucking devastating. Devastating. And, devastating. <laughs> I actually um, have the word devastating in my notes right next to Christina <laughs> Hendricks. Yeah. I, I kid you not. It says yeah. just devastating. Systemic shade <laughs> and just devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that Hendricks, I mean, again, this is old. Two things before I say this, William. Who did you notice in this scene that I did not know was in this scene? Oh, it's um, Jody Turner Smith. Uh, all of this is such great world building because it's it's mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's establishing the industry. So we have Christina Hendricks who um, has probably been through the ranks herself oh my God. and mm -hmm. is now now in a position where she can make some decisions and you know pull up the next girl um and then we also have journey turner smith who is probably 
in the process of being in the ranks. And so she's got this um, subordinate desk job. Mm -hmm. um, also a person of color, black woman, mm -hmm. who is not um, given quite the same attention as everyone else in the room. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. She's there, but you don't even notice her unless you're actually And she's the one working the phones and the other three models sitting in the foyer waiting for their calls from Christina Hendricks' character are white women. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so I think that I, I don't know how conscious it was of uh nwr to mm. um put it together like this if abby lee helped because she was like this is how it is right possibly um but it is very you know defining of the industry that we're about to step all the way in with jesse um and you know where it's it's being introduced to us just as it's being introduced yeah. to jesse because she's being caught off guard by a couple of things here as well i i really appreciate the biographical elements of I would imagine it was kind of, it was collaborative in that sense, the biographical elements about Elle that come into Jesse because mm -hmm. when she's up on the hill with Carl Glusman and she says, they want me to lie about my age. And he's like, how old are you? And she goes, right, yeah. just turned, <laughs> she's like, just turned 16 a few months ago and you watch him yeah. just like go blank. So she, yeah. and she really had, like that was the truth of, of mm -hmm. Elle herself. And she also says too, when she's like up on, she's up like prancing on the, the concrete she mm -hmm. says, um, you know, the sky back in Georgia was big like this too. Elle Fanning is from Georgia. That's where she mm -hmm. was born and raised. So like the the ways in which he folds, the ways in which he truly makes this, this you know, the darkest, the, the black mirror version of Elle Fanning's career by like giving <laughs> us the black mirror episode of Elle Fanning's career is really interesting. It's pretty sick and it's very cool. Yeah. Well, and you know, the same thing, just to take it back to Hendrix, like, I don't know if we all just intuit this or if Christina has talked about it. I think she has, because I think you guys both brought it up, but like she talked about how she's been in those rooms and mm -hmm. had those yeah. conversations and how that's, that's Hollywood. And that's the business of like, can you lose 10 pounds? Can you be here and do this and do whatever? And just that sense of like, you know, okay, so like you're good and we like you. Yes. But we want you to be a better version of you. Yes. And like the better version of you idea is so core to Neon Demon. Um, yeah. And in terms of like, what's the utility of your body mm -hmm. and what can other people get out of the utility of your body? And I think like that scene is so perfect. And like Jesse's willing to go along with it, right? Like she doesn't balk at any of this. Yeah. She's not like, oh, no, I don't think I can. And like her, <laughs> yeah. you know, perfect little like fawn deer voice. Like, oh, she's, my God. She's down. Like, she's going to do it. The performances, I mean, just the, I, this movie just really doesn't get talked about enough for the really outstanding minimalism performances. Oh, yeah. Because what Christina mm -hmm. Hendricks and Elle Fanning are both doing in this scene by doing the least, like mm -hmm. just the, it's not even like, it's that same, it's that same look she mastered with Joan, with Joan Holloway, yes. where her, her lips would be pressed a little bit together and her eye, her eye, like brows would be up, like up high and just constantly kind of patronizing, but as a self-defense mechanism, just like, are you really going to waste my time? Like the implication mm -hmm. of you're just wasting her time. And mm -hmm. the way she just looks at rest at Jesse is so, so, so chilling. And the way Jesse looks back at her, like you said, with this like weak animal kind of energy, but like, as we just said, she's more canny than, you know, she leads on. But this is also, like you said, we, William, we are being introduced to the industry as Jesse is being introduced to the industry. So she is processing a lot of new information like this is, and you watch her like take the feedback, like on the chin about like, well, I would never call you fat, but other people might. She's like absorbing this, absorbing this, but then you see, and what this movie just continually does such a good job of is showing you that the power of the breadcrumb in Hollywood, how like mm. the fact that it just takes one yes and it might take, it could take decades for some, it could take days for others. But if it is that decades thing, it, it's like the whole movie Ellie Parker with Naomi Watts that kind of was like instrumental in like pushing her career forward a bit. This aging actress going on auditions and then hoping for that one yes that pushes you to the next threshold and the power of the sustaining power of the possibility of that yes. And you see Jesse when she starts getting more concrete, like not necessarily backhanded compliments from Christina Hendricks, right. but when she says, I see 20 or 30 girls come in here every day mostly from small towns with big dreams. 
because some guy named Chad in the food court told them they were beautiful enough to be a model. And they're all good. You? You're going to be great. And so let's get this started. We're going to have you lie about your age. We're going to have you say you're 19 because 18's a little too on the nose. And she's immediately putting her in the machine, perpetuating like the shadiest parts about this industry to get like a nubile little girl, virginal girl into the gears and get that spinning. And the way you see just the tiny business of acting on Elle's face and you start hearing that the way that that kind of enchanted twinkly music comes in in Neon Demon and yeah. anytime something kind of good starts anytime the spell is like cast more and more over Elle and you just watch her do that contained smile thing that she does so many times in this movie where like she's starting to understand what the victories mean and what they're adding up to but she's not like she's like I'm not gonna celebrate yet because I'm gonna play it cool but I'm very excited right now and she just has <laughs> yeah. that like buttoned kind of like understated triumphant smile like okay sounds good and she she knows she's on her way but you watch her like receive the challenging information it's like oh okay okay a little scary a little scary but then the immediate click over of what she knows that puts her closer to and it's like worth it worth it worth it worth it worth it like she's she's ready to follow the path whatever gets in the way because she sees it leading up to the top of the mountain and it's yeah. in it's immediate you'll work with all the top designers international success mm -hmm. yeah i mean like what we accept mm -hmm. and i think that might be a good way to transition us to like what dean is doing what dean is yeah on the way what is dean doing <laughs> Because after the at the end of the at the end of the agency scene, uh, Christina's like, "We'll just need a parent or guardian signature," knowing full right. well she doesn't have a fucking parent or guardian, right. and she. So she like she's gonna set her up with this paperwork, and upon her exit from the office, like she goes to get like Jesse's walked out. Christina goes back to the lobby with the models and Jody Smith Turner. And then, like we talked about this a bit before, but she just looks at the like the three girls in front of her, examines each one of them, and just goes, "You can go." You like mm -hmm. either like, well, that was gross, but Jesse's like she's making it happen, and then it yeah. gives you this moment of reality where like, oh yeah, and then like, but a sacrifice had to be made to make that possible. So then the next thing we see is Jesse forging a signature in her shitty motel room. And she's in her lavender dress. And like, you see her looking, cause so much of this movie happens in mirrors. You see her looking in the mirror and starting to like, she's feeling herself. Like she knows she had a victory today. And as Revan says in the commentary for that, they talk about how tiny the room actually was, but then he's like. Again, to slowly build up the narcissist theme. Yeah, she's looking in her, in the mirror at herself. It's beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. Then she goes out to meet uh, Carl in his car, and then they they go to the Overlook. Yeah, it's it, another part of that Christina Hendricks scene is that um, she pulls out the photos that oh, Dean yeah. has just taken. Yeah, the, the um, because the that's the opening, the opening scene of the movie. Yeah, is Dean taking um, having a photo shoot with Elle, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Elle has brought those photos to this um, meeting, and Christina Hendricks is like. Uh -uh, these are amateur hour yeah. uh, like yeah. no way um yeah so so we get we get the yes for l and we get mm -hmm. the no for the girl in the the lobby we get the no for dean yep um we see both sides of the industry mm -hmm. and then when when dean comes to pick up um jesse you know one of the first things he's he asks is you know what they think of my pictures did they see my pictures and, <laughs> yeah. and jesse's like Jesse's in ready to celebrate her win, yeah. um, but she's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't think that came up. Your pictures yeah. didn't come up." She just kind of like segues away from it. Um, yeah, and I don't know if it's to not hurt his feelings or because mm -hmm. she just wants to focus on on her win. Um, mm -hmm. Either way, you know, but it's we we get to see like how this industry treats everyone. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. It's you know. Dean and Jesse go up to the the little hillside or the overlook to see the city and and Jesse's walking back and forth from the concrete and um filling herself filling her oats like yeah. you said and Dean is just kind of like watching her staring at yeah, her Yeah, he's just in the car he like we see it from like Jesse's side of the car and she's just sort of 
taking in the breeze and she closes her eyes and she's sort of savoring what's happening. And then with that, it's, it's another like the, Jesse watching the world and the world is watching Jesse. We see yeah. Dean like having trouble keeping his eyes on the road because he keeps just trying to steal glances at Jesse and she knows it. She can feel it. She sort of like gives right. him a half look over at one point. And then when they're up on, they're up on that, that overlook, she is, um, they say in the director's commentary that that was um, improvised, that L it was just like, okay, like vamp. And so mm -hmm. she like, you know, she picks up her gown and she's kind of like floating Flowing. around and very fluid arms looking very much like a little princess. And he's just watching her from the hood of his car, just captivated. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, probably in his heart of hearts knows, but isn't been made explicitly aware yet that she is a newly 16 year old girl. Right. And I right. think it's one of those things where it's like, what do you like know? Mm -hmm. And what can you deny knowledge of? Yes. Right. Like he can say, like, oh, I like I thought she was like 18. Like <laughs> yeah. nobody told me she wasn't 18. Nobody told me. And right. yeah, you can it's that thing of like you it like you can kind of feel that sense of don't ask, don't tell. Cause he's already 100%. had a whole photo shoot with her. They already 100%. connected online. Like they right. they've had like an order of business together. He didn't ask then. She Elle is 15, 16 years old when she makes this movie. She looks, she's tall, she's pretty, she looks like a girl. But like as long as you didn't ask her about it, you didn't have to deal with that. Right. And am I misremembering? Has Dean already like defended her to Keanu? Not yet. No, that hasn't okay. happened yet. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, he's I feel not like yet that... white knighted. Right. Because I feel like that is such a furthering of his like, but I'm a good guy <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. And it's like, well, you can also be a bad guy. You're just not like explicitly saying you're going to rape her. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> yep. I didn't do anything to her. I just kept going right. on dates with this 16 year old. Right. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, and I, I think too, it, like, part of like the sort of like that that kind of guy thing like that that's sort of the, the good guy bad guy thing mm -hmm. this idea of like the don't ask don't tell notion of the age the idea of him like immediately sort of taking a like as we'll see explicitly realized with the with the Keanu and like her having to pay for damages done to her room by the mountain lion mm -hmm. um and him being like I'm gonna white knight this and yeah. seeing that sense of like well I'm a protector I'm a good guy like clearly my intentions are pure and there's right. There's a there's a moment where like when he asks when he's like wait how old are you and she's like you know I just turned sixteen and he like you know I think I left the stove on at home stop she grabs him by the shirt and pulls him back it's like no 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 he sits right back down yeah he doesn't it's, say it, it, no 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 we really need to go he sits right back down sidles up right next to it doesn't take any convincing for him to come back um, no. it's mm -hmm. almost like he was you know, feigning or or it, it, you know that. I left the stove on kind of line is almost like a flirt still. It's almost it like, mm -hmm. um, yes. so it, he really doesn't have a problem with it, which is, you know, kind of creepy. Um, and it, mm -hmm. it, the, the way the movie sets up Dean, um, like the first shot that we see of him at that photo shoot, him, he's obviously a photographer and he's trying to capture the picture, mm -hmm. but the way he's, just glaring at her oh. is very uncomfortable mm. um and then we get him glaring in the car we get him glaring at her while she's you know walking along the cityscape um and it's all very uncomfortable um until we meet kind of keanu reeves because when keanu comes right. in he becomes very very uncomfortable mm -hmm. and then you know, you look back and you go, well, Dean's not so bad. Um, exactly. But, creates that yeah. sliding scale. But, yeah. but, you know, I always have the, the, the wonder if, you know, skipping through the movie, if you've seen the movie, I hope you have, if you've gotten this right. far in the podcast, but, you know, <laughs> um, knowing what happens to Jesse, mm -hmm. I wonder if, if the girls didn't end up je getting Jesse, would Dean eventually have, right. would Keanu eventually have? It's all like, they were all coming for her yeah. still um, mm -hmm. on various levels. Um, and Dean's level is, is you know, we don't see it as bad as Keanu's, but it's still not great. She's prey for someone. 
Yeah. Like she's actually, you know, like she becomes prey for like shout out to the cannibal witches. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> she also, yeah, to Dean, I think she is somebody that could be his meal ticket. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's beautiful. She's clearly going places. Did they see my photos? You yeah. know, there's that aspect of it. Yeah. There is, of course, like if he can scuzzy... keep shooting Jesse, that's only a victory for him. Right. That goes back to the industry side of it. There's obviously like the base like very low (laughs) things that Keanu clearly would want to do with like Mm -hmm. a girl that young and that beautiful and so like William said then you have the like okay well like at least Dean seems to like her Uh you know like it's not as bad as Keanu but then when you get to like the fashion photographers it is like oh no like this is what Dean wants to be close to and wants to have access to and so again like she still is like Dean definitely like in the way that she aspires to be this ideal, he aspires to basically be like Jack, like Desmond right. yeah. Harrington's yeah. character. That like this yes. in demand, like dark and brooding and important fashion photographer who can make women's careers by shooting them. A sort mm-hmm. of ideal trajectory for Dean is becoming Jack. And in that mm-hmm. moment later on, when he asks uh Jesse, like, is this what you like? who are you? Like, is this what you want? Do you want to be them? It's like, well, the difference between the big difference between Dean and Jesse is that Dean didn't get the chance. Right. Yeah. Is that Dean hasn't gotten the chance to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And there is a resentment in his voice at the notion Mm -hmm. that, you know, she would make that decision as though he is morally superior, but we don't know if Dean was given that same opportunity to be noticed, if he mm-hmm. would choose such a high ground and not want to be part of the system, part of them. Right. And I think something too, and I, I don't know how much of this there is in the movie, but I think it, it I think Refn is sort of probing at this idea of like the relationship between a photographer who thinks he is like he or she is quote unquote like creating you Mm, and the subject of the photo which is like well I already exist and like you're essentially like commodifying who I already am Mm -hmm. for your portfolio for your output for your work and so I think he is somewhat trying to probe at that relationship I think he's more interested in beauty as like an abstract aesthetic quality and he's not necessarily super into um like is photography in and of itself exploitative of Mm -hmm. the models um but it's something to think about too because I think we're meant to think like Dean's photos are shitty they're garish (laughs) like he slathered her in blood right not a great photo or whatever but like by the end of the movie she's slathered in blood anyway right so well and I think it I think a key like the way like part of his composite of like like the well he's less bad than Keanu and he's not mm-hmm. a total asshole like the the designer guy and he's not a weird wraith like Jack like he's mm-hmm. you know but like when they're up on that hill and Jesse's talking about all the things that she's not you know the yeah. in, again devastating like I can't sing I can't dance I can't write <laughs> no real talent And I'm pretty. And I can make money off pretty. So. And the way he looks at her and he's like, no, I bet you can do lots of stuff. And I really like that the rejoinder to that moment is not Jessie, like, batting her eyes and lowering her head. She goes, we just met. You're like, you don't even know me. And he's like, we didn't just meet. She's like, we just met a few days ago. He does that thing of like, you know, it's like, it's like that One Direction song that I love, but is a terrible fucking message of, you don't, you know, you don't know you're beautiful. Like that, that notion mm-hmm. of loving that, how many, how many shitty character descriptions have been written about women in scripts that are like thirties, rockin' bod, blonde hair, <laughs> beautiful, doesn't know it. Like how right. many times has the fantasy girl been gorgeous, but has no idea. Right. And he's doing that thing of like, let me project onto you and make up for these things you're telling me you're not because it makes me this good person who sees what other people don't see. I'm the exception. I'm the special one. I can see you. And she's like, not really. Like, I'm having a nice time, but not really. But that little kind of action, especially with a child, that's like, 
grooming somebody to drop their mm-hmm. guard for you, even if the thing that you're asserting is disingenuous by default because you can have no fucking way of knowing that a per- about a person. I bet you're good at lots of stuff. Like, well, yeah, people are good at various things, but that's a line, dude. Like, you're doing yeah. this like it's this sincere, I'm going to be your white knight kind of thing, but you're just blowing smoke up her ass right now. Okay, so this leads us to another question. Do we think that Dean is as insincere as we thought that Jesse might be, like how we discussed last episode? Is there any element of Dean that is earnest? Here's my thought on that. Mm, William's face. I Yeah. Yeah, William, do you want to go first? Do you want to go first? I, I can. Go I mean, for it. I, I feel like he is earnest to a point. Mm-hmm. I think okay. that he... Um, genuinely likes Jesse, um, and I think that he um, will defend her to a point. But even mm-hmm. later in the movie, we see that when um, shit hits the fan, he steps out. He's not going to. He he's going to um, take care of himself before he takes care of Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know, there's also this idea of. Um, talent versus pretty because she's saying she doesn't have any talent mm-hmm. where he's a photographer where he would have to actually have um a technical skill mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to you know i mean models have very technical skills they right they have to do you know certain angles they have to know all of plenty of things but yeah, the idea we're, of, we're led to believe here that carl glusman couldn't skate by on his good looks in this movie <laughs> <laughs> for the purposes but, of this film yeah, the idea that that Jesse um, could make money off of just being pretty, as opposed mm. to him having to, um, you know, no lenses, no cameras, yeah, no have a how trade. to shoot, have a trade, um, have a trade, yeah, have a trade. Then you know, there's, I, I think that that bothers him a bit too. So I don't think that he's, I think that he is sincere, but I don't think he's trustworthy. Um, mm, okay. I think okay. I think that 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 closing line I think gets at exactly what I'm feeling about him which is I think there's a lot in Dean that reminds me of the like this sort of archetype that I've been thinking a lot about lately that I absolutely fucking hate which is like the beta nerd Jordan what you're looking for is Xander Harris it's Xander Harris I know that's exactly how I have talked about this is that is that's exactly what I am talking about the Xander Harris model that like Mm -hmm. it started like you know there's always been you know like a dorky best friend kind of character but yeah men have always been trash men have always been trash (laughs) we in the 80s we got a lot of that John Hughes lovable loser kind of thing you know the the, the ducky the ducky best friend the Anthony Michael Hall in Breakfast Club like the nerds who are gonna rape the passed out hot girl in 16 Candles like this idea of the um uh, what is the movie about revenge of the nerds like the whole mm-hmm. oh yeah of revenge of the nerds like they're gonna I mean, weird science take over. all of them basically all every them. john hughes movie is just like you didn't notice me because i wasn't as attractive yep. as the jock guy but mm-hmm. like as my i'm friend, amazing as my friend sam said like when we when we talked about this on our pod recently they're the character that knows what's really going on right like, i mean it's, don't... it's it's weaponizing being a simp yep like Yep, they don't bring yeah. they they like the they they're made to be these heroic characters, Xander. Mm-hmm. They're made to be these heroic characters that don't have physical strength that mm-hmm. wouldn't be on your zombie apocalypse team. They bring mm-hmm. no practical assets to the table, but they've they're good with a one-liner and they see the big picture about things. And if they just hang around and nag you long enough, you're finally going to realize that you're the man, you're the man of their dreams kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I we see this we, you know, this thing forged in the sort of John Hughes verse that I think is really ret- that is really refitted for a sort of burgeoning online dorky sensibility that comes around the 2000s with Xander Harris. And you just, it's supposed to be, it's that thing in that era that we have been taught to believe is supposed to be charming. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be endearing. It's what the entire Bo Burnham character in Promising Young Woman is built on. Just like be persistent enough in that self-effacing kind of dorky way. But like, ultimately you're a good guy because you're going to keep on trying instead of listening instead of actually showing up maybe when that person needs you in a situation critical it's Mm. that character type where we were told that that self-deprecation is cute 
that that nerdiness is charming and that that's something aspirational and it is fucking scarred millennial women this mm-hmm. idea that that beta bastard is something that we should think is endearing and therefore we should endure the like quiet degradation of of like your personhood or that like subtle nagging at you and the resentment that builds up because you're not fucking them because ultimately they're just here to play the long game to have sex with you i think he is a darker extension of that kind of character who would tell you I'm one of the good guys until when that moment arrived, when the promising young woman scenario arrived and he gets you home and you're too drunk to consent. Suddenly he does something that, oh, you know, well, she was asking for it. Like I totally thought she was into it and would never consider themselves a predator because, well, what they were doing was like, they were on a date. Like consent was implied from the very beginning of the night. I think he's that version. And I think when you see him at the start, at that photo shoot, the way he's looking at Jesse, the way we see that ability where it's that, it's almost that same look. And this freaks me out. It's that same look you see in straight men at strip clubs. When you oh, see yeah. a guy right up against the stage and it, it, I don't, I, I don't think most men should be allowed to sit at the rack at a strip club. I think they should have to be by the bar and like sending waitresses with their money to the, to the stage. Because Mm -hmm. like, there's that thing that happens with men at strip clubs that genuinely frightens me where you look over, it's not all of them. Every once in a while, there's that one guy whose head's just kind of downturned and he looks like he's in a trance and it looks like his soul has left his fucking body because there are tits in his face. Right. And you're like, did nudity honestly turn off your humanity? Like, where yeah. are you? Like, yes. it looks like- The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. And I see that look and I'm like, that look to me is communicating right now that if you went out into the parking lot and you saw the dancer, you were just in your cups about half an hour ago. And you decided in your head that she wanted you because that's her job to make you feel that way. You saw her, you and that, that glaze would switch over and you would think that girl is your property and you were entitled to whatever you wanted from her. Cause mm-hmm. if you can look at somebody like that with the light fucking gone, there is something in there that even if it hasn't come out yet, even if it doesn't come out, it's waiting. And that's what I see in that look in his eyes and that photo shoot is that thing that maybe he can't even name. He probably can't even name because he's not examined his life that way. He can't even name, but given space and opportunity in the right set of circumstances, it's waiting and it wants to come out. To play devil's advocate though, isn't that exactly what the trio of women also do in this film? 100%. These manifestations of like the tyranny of violent misogyny Yes, hundred yeah. percent. She's the yeah. prey for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she's the prey for everyone. And I, I think so. In that way, Neon Demon is almost tricking you into doing, like we said, is creating like a hierarchy of badness. Mm-hmm. Like so and so isn't as bad, and so and so, like you can understand why so and so would think so and so. Like you know, like Ruby's looking out for her. Dean's trying to look out for her. Yeah. Like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But like the. <laughs> The more I watch it, <laughs> I do almost respect like the direct evilness yeah. of a character like Keanu's motel owner. Yeah. Like, you Keanu know where you stand. You know, like you know where you stand. And like I will never learn his name. He's always just Keanu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. you know, he's always just Keanu. Mm-hmm. But like Keanu's motel owner is like, yeah, I want to fuck her. Like, yeah, of yeah. course. Like, why wouldn't I? And I think like I respect that now almost more than somebody like Ruby, because I almost yeah. think Ruby is the worst beta character in this movie. Worse oh, I, than I Dean. Agree. I think. Yeah. Okay, worse oh, than Dean. Yeah, because I think that, like, she is playing a long game that she clearly has played before. And I'm not sure Dean has. So I think that there... I think that's a great point. Like, I think there's something about Dean that you're like, I think you can see where he thinks this can go. Mm -hmm. And, like, the way that he is trying to figure out to make it work. And ultimately he fails. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas I think like it becomes very clear with Ruby that like there is a rhythm and a process to this. There's a process. And, mm-hmm. 
And if she doesn't get what she wants, then she has a backup plan. I don't think Dean is the kind of guy that has a backup plan yet. I don't think his seal has been broken in this regard yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, it is the Xander Harris model. Like it's so, it's really rough watching them one after another because every episode, because I'm doing a rewatch of Buffy Mm -hmm. and every episode I'm like, oh, I didn't come to the show till later in my twenties. I didn't watch it in real time while my friends were obsessed with it. So Mm -hmm. when I started watching it, like I wasn't a girl. I wasn't like, I wasn't wrapped up. I had seen enough other examples of feminism to where like it wasn't breakthrough for me to be watching Buffy. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. while there was, I was, I can appreciate it. He is, he and what he represents is so foul. I actually have a hard time enjoying the show. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, it's, I, it's this hard. gets so in the way of all the good things that is going on in here. I, I hate him so much and I know he's going to keep surviving. Like, I know right. I'm not even getting justice one day. This right. is, but watching him fucking pout and be a bitch constantly (laughs) drives me out of my mind and that entitlement that like best friend boy entitlement we've seen so many times in so many characters and i i again i really believe that dean is like a permutation of that somebody Mm -hmm. just like looks like a prada model and is in real life married to zoe like kravitz so he's Mm, got it like that formerly married jordan formerly married to zoe kravitz yeah um but like Xander is Xander didn't get to be hot like Spike. He didn't get to be hot like Dean. So he's just okay. gonna whine like Angel. Hello, like David Boreanaz. <laughs> key key to my heart forever. I, I mean, very... not in real life because in real life he's like a terrible person. I think. Yeah, but like Angel. I'm a terrible like, millennial. Whew. I'm a terrible millennial girl because emo never fucking did it for me. Emo, oh, that's too bad. Soft boys can go fucking be soft. I have no desire to be your inner strength. Get the hell out of here. Stop looking at me like that. You gonna cry? You gonna cry? Then cry. Stop looking like you're gonna cry. God, Jordan. I cannot. Jordan's like, I want pure masculinity at all times. I've been thinking all week that I want to see more soft men in film, but I think it's a totally different take than what you're, what, yeah. what you're talking Jordan, about. Jordan wants the saxophone guy from Lost Boys. And that's oh, no. She wants. She wants pure oiled up masculinity. No, I think, I think one of the biggest twists, I think one of the biggest twist reveals about my personality with like my panoramic gray sexual, like generally prefer women to men, misandry, all this, that, the other. If, if if we're going with men, like it's either like be David Bowie, like androgyny yeah, yeah. thing, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. be fucking Joe Manganiello. Like, <laughs> Or like make my body respond with a genetic imperative to breed with you and protect me. And I will stay right. in the kitchen and I will do your laundry and I will do all those things. Like it's either like gender roles or it's like gender fluidity. Like it's one or the other. <laughs> I remember when I saw Thor the first time and I was like, oh, I want to marry Thor. Like, t- mm-hmm. like throw your cup- coffee cup on the floor. Tell me to get you another. I absolutely will. Like, it's just like you fucking problem solve. You don't whine. You take responsibility. You're huge. I love it. I love that. I was waiting for when you're huge would come up. <laughs> you're huge. Which David Boreanaz checks that box. That man yeah. fills a fucking door frame. Yeah. It's really, so what am if I now? If he had been a lumberjack instead of Angel, I'd be like, we've got everything here. Yeah. Like, cause I was watching it in real time. So I was in fourth grade. Ooh, so rewatching wow. it now at 33, I'm like, oh yeah, this did a lot of fucking up Roxana Haddad. <laughs> <laughs> like this whole idea of like love has to be tragedy, like yes. was so weirdly formative. But um, I will always be a Buffy angel. I hate Buffy Spike. I don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't think it's good. I, I think I it's like terrible. It. I think it's terrible. Can't stand it. To the to the 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 words themselves. To the you know I. I can make money off pretty. Mm-hmm. What I love so much about, much like the 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 where we see um, the witch models in the bar when we meet them, and how that whole sequence when Ruby brings the Jesse offering to Gigi and Sarah, and we just get a sense of them through their physicality and the way they size one another up and their posture standing in the club. We get this scene up over on the overlook and Elle is improvising this like sort of silly child, graceful dance along the concrete and the moon is up in the distance. Elle asks, she goes, did you put that moon there? And he's like, yeah, that was like one of the few things we did in post. Like, so he (laughs) implanted 
the moon. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Jessie's doing her ethereal dance and playing with her dress. And Ruffin says, I thought a very interesting thing of like, this is your, um, this is your improvisation. Remember mm-hmm. walking across LA. Yeah. And like, you can hear him, like the idea of thinking of it like that, the idea of like her sort of dancing across the stars in that way, mm-hmm. I thought was really beautiful. And to watch how Jessie in the sort of like, she knows she's playing to a crowd a bit, but I think like part of her charm is her dreaminess. And she she talks in that scene about how when she was back home in Georgia, she would lay on the ground, look up at the moon. And, you know, I would, sometimes I'd fall asleep out there and I would just dream. And you just see, like you get, you learn so much in, in about their dynamic of watching her dance and watching him watch her. And mm-hmm. that continued sort of obliviousness to an audience while also playing to them at the same time. And they get in, you know, it's interesting to me when she talks about being back home in Georgia. When I was a kid, I would sneak out to the roof at night. I thought the moon looked like a big round eye. And I would look up and I'd say, do you see me? Like, and the idea that the aspiration was to be seen. The Mm. aspiration was to be watched because he asks her, what did you dream about? And she said, I could never quite piece it together. Like she didn't actually enumerate the dream. And it sounds like to her, she couldn't quite because maybe she just like didn't have the grasp of what was possible. So she comes out to, you know, big city to achieve, achieve those whatever goals might be and, and learn what they are along the way. But the idea that she would lay out under the moon, this thing she viewed as looking back down at her and dream of a bigger life like the idea of dreaming of being seen by like the biggest, brightest light in the sky, I think is very, an interesting, a, a very lovely way of asserting something very fundamental about Jesse. Absolutely. I mean, it also is hearkening towards the, uh, the end of the film um, mm-hmm. as well, just like how important the all seeing eye is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like in that moment when that conversation with her and Dean, Dean's also, um, pushing her to feel comfortable and being small. He says, you yeah. can be small here. Um, and she does not want to be small. That's You're the whole so point. R- mm-hmm. Yes. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to be small. Um, and I think the idea of the, the moon being a huge eye seeing her mm-hmm. um, and her holding the attention of something as large as a moon mm-hmm. um, is, you know, that being inspiration for her to come to Hollywood, to come to LA um, and, and make money off of pretty is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also something like, I was talking about the world building in this these few scenes. Um, and you mentioned earlier the synth- syntheticness of the movie, how we always see things in mirrors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the drive that Dean and Jesse have before they get to this location is all a throwback to old Hollywood. It's mm. all, um, you know, them driving in front of a screen as opposed to how we do it now where you're right. actually out on the street and it looks very dreamy and very synthetic. Um, and then we get Jesse um, who doesn't want to be small um, coming to Hollywood to make these big dreams come true. And it almost feels like um, going back to her making money off of pretty mm-hmm. it almost feels like she's channeling a sort of um marilyn monroe-ness right Ooh. right l does love marilyn monroe in that way that like oh pumpkin do you have new idols yet like <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that that marilyn monroe made money off of pretty not mm-hmm. just the fact that she was pretty but the idea of her constantly um, evoking this heightened femininity mm-hmm. um, that wasn't really who she was. Yeah. Uh, it was all a performance. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, and you know, this it, kind of like, this is the system that you're in now and that you're in Hollywood. This is what you have to do, Jesse, in order mm-hmm. to make it. And she's starting to pick up on it. The moon's seeing her and this is her moment. She's mm-hmm. riding it out. Well, there, I, I, I just can't like it's one of my favorite scenes ever, which it's unsurprising. Here we are doing a whole podcast about it. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes ever because of just the intuitiveness. Like, God, I love a meta casting. Megan Fox, Jennifer Check, fucking yes, give me that whenever possible. And and Refn talks in the in the commentary. <clears throat> he talks about in the the scene with Christina Hendricks 
he was keyed in, he was looking at anonymous girls. Like he was looking, like considering a lot of um, name, like kind of not yet named actresses. And then he, oh, his wife, had, he said, had watched uh, something Elle was in when she was like 10. Like one of her like younger kid movie, like younger, younger movies. And then they started looking into her and it turned out his casting people, his casting ladies had cast Elle in the movie somewhere. So they had already worked with her. They knew her personally. Mm-hmm. So they put Elle on his radar and then he got a hold of some of her fashion editorial work. Like I think they say specifically that they, he saw, um, he looked up her interview magazine shoot for that and he knew he's like and that was it that was my neon demon so from that moment forward it was get l fanning like that it was just that's the only option we need to get l fanning and that was when they they got the script to her obviously the people connect with the people and she immediately uh, you know by her telling was like i need to be in this movie i have to do this and so they had their like get together and that is where as i was explaining before we started recording um apparently part of that conversation where they were hitting off, hitting it off very well at one point and i feel like we can all just imagine in our in our minds and i will edit in the clip nicholas winding refn in the most dry manner possible asking a 15 year old l fanning Remember I asked you if you were beautiful? Yes, you asked me, do you think you're beautiful? Her response was like, she just starts giggling immediately. She's like, and I laughed and then I said, yes. I said, there's the movie right in front. Like, (laughs) and so he was like, that's exactly it. That's my, that's my movie. That's my movie is this exchange right here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that does so inform like that question that we got so far into on the last episode, how much does Jesse know? How aware is Jesse? And casting this actress who is Princess Aurora, who is the most virginal and pure sort of image one can have in like the white Western set of beauty values and hierarchy. And then when he has the, you know, and with that sort of vaunted, the idea of beautiful and she doesn't even know it. Well, here's the girl who's going to be that whole little pristine, you know, pure package for you wrapped in a bow. And then when he asks her the question, do you think you're beautiful? This 15 year old girl laughs and then says, yes. Like, she knows it. She yeah. knows it. She yeah. is a sincere person. She does seem to be a good-hearted and 10,000 gorgeous adorable bunnies. But she also knows. Because she has this career, doesn't she? She's been doing this job, hasn't she? And right. here's Jesse. She made it to LA. She got good feedback. They signed her at the modeling agency, didn't they? People look at her, don't they? This boy likes me, doesn't he? Like, she knows those. She's clocked these things. And she knows she has this innocence about her and she has a sweetness, which is sincere to a degree, but then she's also canny. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. You're a dangerous girl. She was right. I am dangerous. And she knows how to leverage that and that brings her to can't sing, can't dance, can't act, no real talent, which she gives this incredible, Elle gives this amazing line reading where you Mm -hmm. see the like vulnerability, even taking the innocence out, the vulnerability of that self-deprecation. Like I've assessed that I don't have value, but for this one thing. And you can see the kind of wound that that leaves, but then the awareness immediately following that, when she kind of like, she she gets this, you know, she's kind of laughed off that I don't have any real talent, but then looks at him very directly and says, but I am pretty and I can make money off pretty. So she knows. See, what's funny about that is that I don't read that moment as self-deprecating at all. I see the not having talent thing as a little that. What do you see there? I just see it as incredibly blunt. And incredibly self-aware, but I don't think, I don't think it's self-deprecating because I keep thinking about like all of the interactions she has to come. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll get into that in future installments, but I'm thinking specifically of like the casting scene. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she is very unapologetic, but I almost think that she... You know, I almost think that she finds it amusing that she has no talent, but I don't think she's leaving it open for other people to be amused by it, if Mm. that makes sense. Mm. So again, 
But again, like walking this very fine line. So fine. In terms of like how she views herself, how she knows others view her Mm -hmm. and what can she commodify about herself, which like so far is everything. Like she doesn't, you know, there are no, there are no qualms, which is, I think what makes her only, I think that's what makes her moments of fear later Mm -hmm. in the movie so much more interesting Mm. because she's so convinced of her own like authority in those moments and, and to her be, control like, of her control yeah. yeah so i think that's interesting for mm-hmm. sure but you know in terms of like you said like thesis statements mm-hmm. i can make money off pretty is a hell of a thesis <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's also i think it's a little bit of both of what you said like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of self-deprecating but it's also very authoritative um mm-hmm. because i think that she's also a performing when she's saying it mm-hmm. she's performing for dean she's yeah. saying what she, she's presenting a character to him like i was saying with marilyn monroe um mm-hmm. because also if you think of of what she really wants um this is the only moment where she actually brings up money in the, in the entire movie money is not what That's she really point. wants mm-hmm. so the the whole um quote i can make money off of pretty mm-hmm. um she's using money she's using the idea and the conversation of money just to be able to say I'm pretty Um, (laughs) she's she's really just performing for Dean and for the moon and she wants to perform for LA Mm -hmm. um and it's she this is like her warm-up I think (laughs) (laughs) this is her well it's funny listening to the because like as you had pointed out William um when we talked about this on on another episode this is one of those scenes where she mentions on the track uh, where Elle mentions on the audio track, like, oh, and here's one of those moments where you see that, like, she's maybe not as innocent as she seems. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Elle's kind of, like, mm-hmm. in, you know, she's planting that seed, too. And I think, like, it just, and as just, like, a, as just, like, a, like, a thesis statement, like you said, the elegantness, the, the, the elegance that Elle Fanning gives this very um, direct and, like, ham-fisted statement of the movie's sort of intentions um it i'm so impressed by how she can soften that line to make it feel so natural coming out of a person and it is it truly like the the way that girls are and like you said with um refin's sort of thematic instinct roxana the idea of like your utility as a person in this world Mm -hmm. and demonstrating through that set of that piece of dialogue the way that girls are told they have utility, the way that Mm -hmm. girls are told they have purpose, which is the ways in which you can perform for people and make them happy. So she lists off all these manner of disciplines and the, just the, it seems like she knows exactly when to be near to Dean and to keep herself farther away. The way she parades herself like atop the city of Los Angeles and then goes to sit next to him and then when he quote unquote finds out she's 16 years old and the way she grabs his shirt and pulls her back to him, that's like with affection is like the most we see another person touch a person throughout this movie. Anytime somebody touches somebody in Neon Demon, it's a bad thing. Like right. <laughs> Keanu Reeves threatens her like it was like knife point. Jenna Malone tries to accost her. Like the it's the only time where we see somebody physically gesture for a person that is at least meant to convey to them. A, a, a desire to be closer but then nothing mm-hmm. further happens after that and when he goes in to kiss her getting out of the car she pulls away yeah so like the the constant removal of sexuality and sensuality from this movie to keep it at a baseline negotiation of power i find to be just incredibly effective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and again the are they food or are you sex like mm-hmm. we talk a lot about sex in this movie yeah but in terms of like what it actually comes down to it's a lot more about the food <laughs> yeah like it's a lot more about the food there than are it is everyone pretty much everyone sees her as a meal but for like a few rogue actors who seem to right. view her as a as sexual conquest which like even the mountain lion is like yo i'm hungry <laughs> yeah. well, let's you talk are... about that mountain lion like what what how do you read that scene Oh my God, it's my favorite. <laughs> my, I will, because Roxanne will have better things to say about this. I will just say that I love the continual reinforcement in this movie that anytime Jesse has a good thing happen to her, she has to go back to her shitty motel. 
Like anytime right. there's like a triumph and you hear like yeah. the twinkly music, then there's like this rip it back down to reality at a shitty mall, shitty motel in Pasadena where there's a guy trying to prostitute out children who works at the front desk and fucking mountain lions can come in your window and there's like sex turning into domestic abuse on the other side of mm-hmm. one wall and it's just like awful horror show and every time she has a good thing happen it's like and this is the real world that you're trying to get out of right but didn't William speak about this that it's very much a Cinderella and so in yeah. that way, yeah. like it feels like the ball is over. She's got to go back to the basement. Gus Gus is not there to help. Yeah. You know, like she's I got feel... a mountain lion instead. She's yeah. got a mountain lion instead. <laughs> I don't know how much I, you know, really have to say about the mountain lion scene, aside from the fact that I feel like it's a very good reminder for me, at least, mm. that we're dealing with something fantastical. So it, I think it's I think it's one of those things that it feels so foreign and exotic mm. and otherworldly, and then it just becomes like this very almost like lackluster kind of thing that happens. Like she's shocked by it, mm-hmm. and Keanu is shocked by it. But ultimately, what it comes down to is like you're going to owe me money for the destruction of the room. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. not like a hey, let's talk about how fucking weird this is. Yeah, it, there's no just, moment to reflect on how fucking crazy having a predatory cat in your room is. Right. He grabs right. her and he's it, like, I will find you. Right. You're going to need to pay me back. And like, who ends up paying him back? It's Dean, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's like, like I think we talked about, it. I think it becomes this sort of like white knight moment. But I also think it's a reminder of that very thin line between a fantasy world and a real world that we're playing with here in the there is in one of those like i feel like rare moments of information shared when they the the the, the segment where dean and jesse are in the car together and they're going up to the lookout point um mm-hmm. refin does say the whole idea of the visual of the movie was to make it as as uh, fantastique meaning that it had to be imaginary and synthetic so mm-hmm. he he agrees with you. Mm, thanks, buddy. <laughs> William, what do you think? You posed the question. Mm-hmm. I I think it serves a couple of uh, purposes in moving the story along. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's very on the nose that Jesse is prey. Um, very very much like because we also get this this um, statue of a cougar or something in the house later as well that kind of like harkens back to this um so there's that just that feeling of of dangerousness in the air throughout the whole movie it just Mm -hmm. doesn't want to let you down on danger um Mm -hmm. but it also like you said um uh brings in Keanu as being this kind of savior character is the this is the introduction of Keanu yeah um and he's coming up and and going to fight whatever's in the room because when, when she first goes to her room we don't see that it's a lion or no. a mountain lion we aren't sure what it is and it kind of feels like it might be something supernatural there might be a monster or something there mm-hmm. um and this movie is going to take a turn yeah turns out it's just a mountain lion um, <laughs> yeah. and, and just she's just gonna owe, <laughs> she's gonna owe she's gonna owe keanu some money but it's like it doesn't like you said it, it kind of doesn't have a climax nothing happens with this this creature yeah they just Um, they share a communal glance where he looks at her and she looks back at the lion and it's like oh god the mountain lion keanu dean all of these um things coming back to back um after each other in the movie are just um leaving us wondering who can we trust like what is Mm -hmm. what's comfortable in this movie um the answer is nothing um (laughs) well we learned we learned the answer is nothing but i think that because of all of this distrust and all of this like um weird creepy stuff we as an audience then project our comfort onto ruby um Mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie so i think Mm -hmm. this all leads into establishing the story and the characters in that way and i think it's a good reminder sort of like we were talking about that like anything sort of unexpected could happen yeah but then the movie goes back to sort of like okay we're just talking about the industry like we're just talking about like her being great compared with these other models and then I think when you get to the catwalk again it's a reminder of like oh no things are gonna get weird Mm -hmm. so I think Refn does a good job with these sort of like unexpected 
as he always does with these sort of like unexpected stylistic swerves where it's like wait is this becoming a different movie yeah yeah you're or always like true yeah like where are we going here <laughs> yeah. and i think yeah he's always had this very um like tangible interest in the fantastic but i think it's most heightened in this movie and since that brings us really to the linear end of this segment that mm-hmm. tees us up for the on the next the next episode we get into the uh you know well nothing happened to her photo shoot scene mm. with yeah. with photographer jack with desmond and uh you know i'm really looking forward to i'm really looking forward to exploring the assertion well nothing really happened to her right. and and all the things that that entails so that yeah. means we can we can put a bow on this current discussion and we can head into our sign offs so william where can people look you up if you would like them to uh, perhaps take in some of your film criticism um you can find me at william o tyler on all social media probably twitter is the best for for seeing film stuff um and also my patreon patreon.com slash william o tyler where i'm doing lots of original stuff as well as um film art and, and that kind of thing um yeah i'm there <laughs> excellent roxana yes um you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's R-O-X-A-N-A underscore Hadadi, H-A-D-A-D-I. Um, in terms of what I have coming up, I'm writing some stuff about the Ken Burns Hemingway doc. Mm. And I'm reviewing some other stuff. So, you know, yeah, find me on find me on the Twitter. Great. Um, and I am uh, Jordan Cruciola. You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. Uh, check out the Disaster Girls podcast. Check out that Ox Tyrion podcast. And you know what? Give me money on Patreon. Because actually, I legitimately do need it. And I am not ashamed to say so. Patreon.com slash Cruciola. Pay for the work you consume. Um, but yes, thank you so much for joining us again. I hope we are provoking so many thoughts in you. And I look forward to you all listening, us, listening to us go long on a man dousing teenage elf fanning in gold paint in the next episode. Is it not the sexiest moment in all of cinema? <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we not looking forward to that? Wow. Wow. So yes, thank you everybody. And we, you will be hearing from us soon. Bye. 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 I don't want to be them. want to be me.